0: Turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. We are about three-fourths done in chapter 14. And today will be a continuation of what we exposited last week. Okay. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in Romans 14, starting with verse 10 through verse 19. The reading of God's word, which is absolute and without error, reads as follows. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of itself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I am persuaded with the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual um, upbuilding. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. I pray that as we... Look at the precepts, at the admonitions, instruction of your word, that your Holy Spirit may pierce our hearts with a conviction that has action with a mind and heart that are changed by what you tell us in your word. So, Lord, give us the grace we need to be changed by your word. And may we extend that grace and kindness to others. We ask these things by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, may be seated. So today, I title the sermon to judge or not to judge, and this is concerning the free conscience of the believers. This is part two. Okay, I'll tell you a quick anecdote as a way of. Kicking off the sermon. But when I attended undergrad, I studied engineering. And as I was a freshman and even a sophomore, a lot of the classes that I would take would start out something like this. Welcome everybody, here's your syllabus, and know that right now, being the first day of class, it would be the, the professor speaking. Right now, everybody has to A. All you have to do is show up, do your homework, and you'll maintain that A. However, there was this one professor. He was an Aerostructures professor. And his opening lines were something along the lines of, welcome everybody to class. Right now, all of you have neck. If you wanna do well in my class, you're gonna have to show me that you actually learn the material and that you know what you need to know in order to go to the next class now why don't you bring that example it's for the following reason when we are talking about making judgments judging others judging ourselves we are tempted when we are looking at ourselves to judge ourselves like the first scenario like i'm actually a good person, I'm doing right to be okay, so I just need to maintain this case, and if and when there is a judgment, I should be fine. Whereas when we judge others, we take sort of the second approach, like you already failed me, so you have to work your way up in order for me to have a better expectation or a better perception of you. What we have to keep in mind when we do this is that when we make judgments we need to be reminded as Romans 14 has reminded us is that while we are not to judge one another in secondary matters, there is the judge, there is an ultimate judge and when we come before him, the way that we're going to be judged is not in a curve but is on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. And there it's a binary system if I can use that language, you either have the righteousness of Christ or you don't have the righteousness of Christ. That's the only thing that counts. No such thing as I've done good enough, or I'm going to be okay because I've been better than my neighbor. That is the ultimate judgment. That we are looking to when we come before the seat of the judge seat of Christ. Okay, so Romans 14. We have been exploring what is the biblical basis to make judgments under certain conditions. And we are shown when not to make judgments, when not to divide with our brothers and sisters, when not to be critical of other Christians last week we focused on the question who's to judge who is to judge uh, yeah. that context was on whether a Christian should or should not form biblical judgment of another Christian so let's recap because that's very important as we go on to the second phase which is whether to judge or not to judge and then the commandment to not stumble your brothers and sisters So just to recap, last week we saw that we are not to judge a brother or sister over secondary matters. We're reminded of that on the first portion of verse 10. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And when we do this, when we disobey God's word and we start to judge our brothers and sisters because of what they eat, of what they drink, of the way they decide to run their household... We understand, already discussed in depth, that we do not mean it's a free pass for somebody to be in sin. That is not what we're referring to. But we are referring to the freedom of conscience that each believer has. We also talked about how when the scripture speaks and is clear, that is not what we're talking about, somebody having the freedom. For instance, when it comes to the essentials, somebody does not have the Christian freedom to believe on whether Jesus is God in flesh or not. That is a non-emotional. Two sermons ago we saw how it is also not applicable in such things as should Christians congregate. That is not up for debate. Someone cannot use a Christian freedom. or is my Christian freedom to congregate or not? No. That is foreign the scripture. You do not have that freedom. <clears throat> and if you think you do, you're in disobedience. Nevertheless, Romans 14 tells us in secondary matters. I cannot force you to adopt my convictions on secondary matters. And then we are not to pass judgment either, hypocritically. Famous passage, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not know it is the log that is in your own eye? Okay. So this is the second aspect in which we should not judge. Not judge secondary matters, and then not judge hypocritically. Meaning, there could be a, a case, if there are cases, Where we see somebody else in sin. And that is not a secondary matter. They are in sin. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, do not have a foot to stand on if we go and tell that brother, that sister, hey, brother, sister, you're in sin. You should repent. If I myself are in a similar or same sin, and the scripture tells us that we look at that speck, but we don't look at the big log in ours. Meaning We are actually being trans... We're being sinners even more than they are. And yet we are being hypocritical in trying to tell our brother or sister to change their way. But we are not aware or we don't want to see that, hey, I'm insane. So we are not to judge in hypocrisy. Now, there is a sense... In which the Christian should and is called, is expected to make a judgment call. Meaning, to make a determination morally on what someone else is doing is righteous or unrighteous. We are absolutely called to do that. (laughs) Typically, when this topic comes up, a skeptic or an unbeliever or even a naive believer will only quote Matthew 7.1, judge not That you may not judge. The Bible says not to judge. Remember the response from Paul Washer: "That shall not to a scripture lest you be like Satan." So there is a way in which the Christian should and is called and is expected to judge. This is the words of Christ in John seven twenty four. It says this: "Do not judge by appearance, but judge." with right judgment okay this is the words of jesus we are to make judgments we are to call others to repentance with right judgment with righteous judgment understanding that i need to first analyze my heart my mind my lifestyle my character my speech before I go and tell the brother or sister that they need to repent. My brothers and sisters, that's hard. I've done this. This is hard. And there's times that I'm going to go up someone I actually don't because upon examining myself, I'm actually worse off than they are. Nevertheless, the Lord calls us to do this. If the saints don't do this, who is? Who is? We are called then to make judgments Another aspect would be In order to win someone back Who is insane Someone who is going astray Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you Go and tell him his fault Between you and him alone If he listens to you You have gained your brother This is the first step Of what we refer as church discipline Somebody sinned against you Go and talk to them. And the goal is that you are going to gain them by approaching them in humility, in righteousness, in genuine desire to reconcile. This is very different than, oh, I'm going to tell them. I'm, I'm ready to go. Just do it. That is very different. If we do have that impulse of confronting someone in sin with that type of anger, your heart is not right. Don't do it. Now, you could be righteously in anger and still confront someone. But the moment you take a self-righteous attitude, your heart is not right. Don't do it. So that we do this in order to win someone back. Our comment I made last week was, my brothers and sisters, if we are living in a community of true believers and no one ever calls us to repentance, You know, whatever gives us an admonition of correction, of exhortation, what are we doing? Do we really love each other? Are we really living the life of Christians that we should? If we are cowards not to bring up sin to our brothers and sisters on the receiving end, if we're so sensitive that we're going to become so offended if somebody tells me something, what are we doing? We're just playing games. May that never be. So then we are to make judgment calls in righteousness, not by appearances, in order to win someone back. And then there is an ultimate sense in where we are, in which we are and will be judged. And as other reminder of Romans 14. That's the second portion of verse 10, where it says, For we will stand, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Okay. This is a scripture that tells us, referencing other scriptures, that God swears by his name that every knee will bow, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God's Father. There's no if. That is going to happen. This is what God promises. So then there is judging. Romans 14 provides as a reminder that there is a sort of horizontal judgment going on. That judgment could be unrighteous, and we are called not to do that, but it could also be righteous. We are called to do that. Yeah, right. For with our brothers and sisters here on earth, should be done in righteousness and humility, not in hypocrisy, without seeing our own sin. And then there's the next level of judging, which is infinitely higher that's ultimate judgment by the judge. That judging is the one that has power to justify a person or to condemn a person. That comes from God and God alone. We cannot come up with a little checklist of to-dos, and if somebody does them, then they won't be condemned. There's no such thing. Now, there's fruits that we can exhort each other to have and to show, but we do not have the ability to condemn anyone. Matthew 10:28. again, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ say the following. And do not fear those who kill the body only, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's heavy words. Okay? We are not to fear men. We are not to fear the judgment of men, especially when those men are unregenerate, unrighteous men. Judging us for following Christ. I think that would be a valid application we're not to fear them we're to fear god because god and him alone has the authority to kill the body and to throw it into hell so that's a quick recap of the discussion last week of judging and now as we talk this subject next week's sermon will be Sort of a wrap-all of chapter 14, and then we're going to begin chapter 15. But as we go through this, I know that some of this has overlapped, and perhaps has been a little longer than some of you may like. Brothers and sisters, please track along. Let's think and pray and consider these things. We are never going to exhaust the wisdom in God's Word. For it is written for us, for our correction, for our growth. So then, the point that we're going to focus on today from the text that we're drawing, which is going to be verse 13 through 19, is this. The call of Paul to refocus on the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about true righteousness. Let us refocus on what the kingdom is really about and not divide over secondary issues. So then, our focus today is going to be on two subjects where we covered who's to judge. That was last week, and we kind of gave a quick recap today. And then we're going to see today to not stumble one another, to not stumble one another in the way that we live our life, in what we partake and what we abstain. And then we're going to look at the main point of today, which is remember to refocus on what the kingdom is all about. Okay? So let us go ahead and proceed. Do not stumble one another. Or we read the text of we extract this from. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. I know that I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for him who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Okay? So then again, Paul is rehashing this over and over. Do not pass judgment. That is, in matters of personal living, in matters of the convictions that your brothers and sisters may have, which are different than yours, we are called rather to love one another. One of the ways in which we show love for one another, which is a commandment from Jesus himself, is to not put a stumbling block. What does a stumbling block means? Well, this is imagery, right? Somebody's walking and then they trip. Perhaps they don't fall, but it stumbles them. But sometimes they could fall. Okay, so that's the imagery. Do not stumble someone in their faith. That is, don't make them doubt their faith. Don't hinder them from growing in their faith because of this temptation, because of this doubt that you're putting in front of them. And then stumbling, maybe they'll fall. Maybe they will sin. Don't do that in the way that you live, in the way that you Speak in the way that you watch around your brothers and sisters. For instance, if you know that partaking of a certain activity will cause a brother and sister sin, or even bring a strong temptation to them to sin, abstain from it. What is the freedom in Christ for you, for me, can cause somebody else to fall in sin. Paul himself reminds us 1 Corinthians 9 to the following but take care that this right of yours that means the Christian freedom does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak okay now the way that Paul has designated these things is there's a weak believer and there's a strong believer the strong believer is to take care to build up the weaker believer rather than knock him down oh, not to stumble him for instance, if I know that my brother in Christ is tempted to go back to drunkenness if I offer him a beer, I'm not going to offer him a beer. Or if I know that my brother likes uh, football or baseball, what have you, I'm not going to invite him to a bar and grill where everybody else around there is watching the game and cheering and getting drunk. I'm not going to do that. I'm putting my brother in a situation where he will be tempted to fall. And this is why we ought to be discerning and wise in the way that we interact with the brothers and sisters because it may cause them to sin. Now, verse 14 says that Paul is persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself is unclean, but it isn't clean for anyone who thinks it's not. Now, a couple of these. So, here Paul is saying, I know that there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I have that freedom in Christ. Okay? So, in other words, don't mistake this extension of grace, if you will, to the weaker brother as a vindication that the weaker brother is actually right. And that therefore everybody should comply to what the weaker brother thinks. Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. Paul is saying, I'm convinced that I'm not in sin. However, if my weak brother thinks that this is sin, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to touch it. We should note that because Paul is not talking about relativism here. The was good is, what's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. We disagree, so let's just... Or agree to disagree that's not what Paul is saying. Okay. Paul is saying, let the weaker brother be. Let him, let her not be stumbled. Okay. The call then to the stronger brother in verse 15 is to don't not to grieve the weaker brother, to have compassion on him, walking in love and not stumbling him. Another practical application. If I know that a brother of mine doesn't eat pork for personal convictions, and I'm like, oh, that's so silly. You know what? I'm gonna invite them over to eat. I'm not gonna tell them what I'm gonna cook and I'm gonna cook, I'm gonna grow some pork chops just to make him understand that there's nothing wrong with it. No. I'm being silly, I'm being foolish. I need to respect my brother's conviction now a call to the weaker brother do not let your weak convictions make you a tyrant this is where R.C. Sproul talk about the tyranny of the weaker brother that also sudden everybody's walking in eggshells because the weaker brother might be offended no. if you are the weaker brother and you're struggled by certain things know and be aware that your other brothers and sisters will exercise their Christian freedoms. And don't be checking upon them to see if they're doing what you don't want them to do or what you stumble by. Leave them alone. Because if you then judge them, now you are making a self-righteous judgment. And now you're condemning yourself. You're in sin. Now, as we talk about not stumbling the weaker brother, I always talk about the weaker brother not becoming a tyrant. The goal should be and perhaps some of us will not get there, but the goal should be that we are stumbled less and less as we mature in the Lord. Okay? If we are growing in the Lord, we should become less stumbled. My brothers, this is a broken world. This is a messed up world. Okay, and we should grow in our maturity so that we are not so easily stumbled. Again, this may be a harder process for some of us, but that should be our goal. Our goal should not be to keep at the maturity level that we are, or even to become weaker as we grow in faith. Well, that's, that's opposite of what should happen. We should be more and more strong psalm 119 verse 165 raises as follows: great peace have those who love your law nothing can make them stumble that should be our goal my brothers and sisters obviously easier said than done yes correct it but our goal in becoming more and more into the full stature of christ should be to not be easily stumbled that could be a lifelong effort and it is but we should strive to be stronger in the faith not weaker all right so then we turn to what we're extracting from this text to refocus to remember what the real idea what the true kingdom of God is all about Verses 14, I mean, verse uh, 17 to 19. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace, enjoying the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. building You have know, the idea, edification, up Rather than looking at the weaker brother and knocking them over, right? That's tearing down. That could be done by your speech, by the way you make a comments to them. When this tough, the tough situations come up of the weaker, stronger brother, or maybe even by body language, God knows our heart. So then focusing on the kingdom of God is not about the exterior, superficial things. Someone can say the right things. Someone can eat healthy. Someone can exercise. Someone can come to church every Sunday. Someone can even have a list of do's and don'ts and check all of them. And yet that person's heart could be unregenerate. Or even if that person is born again, that person could still be Stubborn in their self-righteousness Now the fact of This being an issue in the, in the church of Rome. It was an issue because The Jewish folks that were now Christians were very concerned with the ritualism of the exterior Following all the rituals on the, the commands of, of Leviticus in the Old Testament Yet Many of them, given the context of the Pharisees and the scribes, when Jesus Himself confronted them, He told them, You have all the exterior things going on, but your heart is far from God. They did not know God, they rejected Christ. But according to the religious culture of the day, they checked all the boxes, they seen. Righteous in the outside. This is why when Jesus told the crowds that if they want to be right and reconciled with God, that their righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And the people said, that's impossible. There's no way. There's no way we can be more righteous than the Pharisees. Why? Because they had an appearance of holiness and righteousness. Righteousness but it was all exterior jesus told them, you are like whitewashed tombs scripture says that we're very offended why because it was all in the exterior now are you the type of one who is big on keeping a to-do list to see if you're doing well or to judge how your friends or your spouse is doing and let's say that you're doing pretty well, or that your spouse is doing pretty well in keeping that checklist that you or them have created. I ask you, isn't it true that when you fail, you feel far from God, even though you've done the best you could do? We go back to the notion of this is not a concept of being great on the curve is being greater on the righteousness of christ in the moment that we know we're not righteous we feel condemned this is when we are to remember that righteousness is a matter of the heart if you do not have repentance of sin and a heart that longs to please christ as lord our seemingly clean-cut behavior and exterior appearance does nothing and in fact it actually condemns us before a holy god who judges the true intentions of our hearts. We see a great example of this, of judging by the appearance, by the exterior. And it's a very literal example. When David was going to be anointed as king, all the brothers were brought. And the prophet could say, no, that's, that's not him, bring the next one. The next, No, that's not him. In talking about the choices of all the brothers coming and seeing if they were going to be the next king, the scripture actually points out of a choice that would seem very fitting in the eyes of men. Speaking of Eliad, handsome, tall, strong. And the idea was for sure, like that's going to be him. This is what 1 Samuel 67 says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as men sees, men looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So then we go back to the idea of today. The kingdom of God is not a, about the righteousness that I can be perceived as having. The righteousness that God is looking for is, first and foremost, righteousness of the heart. That is not material. That is spiritual. David, we're told, had a heart after God's own heart. He loved God's law and desired to please God. And therefore, his physical, seemingly inferior physical appearance did not matter in the eyes of God. Now, as we consider judging others, bearing with those that may be weaker, uplifting them, why is it, my brothers and sisters? Let's let's take a quick question here to think about. Why is it that we may criticize another person's choice of conviction on secondary matters? So these that we not we should not judge them. Why is it that we take that attitude? If we are honest, we take an attitude of unrighteous judging upon our brothers and sisters. It's because we think we're more righteous than them. If that's not the main reason, that's certainly a reason around that. If we make unrighteous judgments on our brothers and sisters, it's because we think we're more righteous than them. So then what is true righteousness before God? Well, the righteousness that comes before a holy God that he'll accept is only the righteousness that comes by trusting in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone. That righteousness is given by God to all who repent of sin and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the refocus that we need to have when we can get carried away with all kinds of other issues, and my brother, my sister doesn't think the same way I do, or, or why they gotta go and watch that, or why they go and eat that, or what can they run their household the same way I run my household? The refocus we need is to not put a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters and to remember that we all need to be righteous before god by grace through faith in christ that faith that righteousness once it takes root in a believer's life will show itself in growth of faith and in growth of maturity it will show itself if it is genuine We should not stumble then, our brothers and sisters, and much less despise them or break fellowship with them over secondary matters. First Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9, read as follows. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So what is it that we should not put someone in to the Verse 18 says, because if someone has trusted Christ, they are already righteous. They are already saved. They have been accepted by God because of the righteousness of Christ. God has accepted them as his children, and so should we there's no such thing as god has accepted someone but they're not good enough for me so i'm going to judge them i came across a quote by cinclair ferguson just yesterday and i took a snapshot of it i'll read it to you here it says this the weakest faith gets the same strong christ as does the strongest faith paul has told us in the book of romans that God has given different measures of faith to to each believer. And this quote here that I just read from St. Ferguson reminds us of that. Those that have become reconciled to God, whether weak in faith or strong in faith, given that their faith is genuine, Christ is Lord and Savior of both. The weak and the strong. Now verse 19 talks about pursuing what makes for peace and for building up of each other. Will despising our brother and sister lift them up? Will criticizing our brothers and sisters over what they eat or drink, bring unity and growth to the body of Christ? Paul says in his other writings that we are to do everything to the glory of God. What we eat, what we drink, our personal preferences and convictions should be done to the glory of God in Thanksgiving for how gracious God has been to us. We are to do everything in our daily lives to the glory of God. All of us have something before us that God has put. If we are heads of household, if we are providers, He has given us jobs. For those mothers that are homeschooling, the Lord has put that in front of you to be faithful in that. Whatever it is that the Lord has before you, he has called you to be faithful in that and to do it to his glory. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 31 and 33 say the following. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the Church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That okay. reminder get back to the to the real things of the kingdom. Avoid being in conflict, creating tension, creating discord over secondary matters. And Paul even says in this last scripture we just read, not only for the Jew and the Gentile, but but for the entire church of God. Let's not divide over trivial matters. Because we're going to cause this court. Proverbs 6, verse 16, and then 19. It says the following. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And then verse 19. A false witness who brings out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So then the reason for seeking to be at peace and unity and building up of each other is that Paul wants the saints to grow in their faith, to be edified, to be built up. And he wants those on the outside of the church, or perhaps even those that are congregated in the church but are not Christians, to be saved. And Paul expresses an idea elsewhere as well. Which is, if I'm going to stumble someone, if what I'm doing is going to stop somebody from hearing the gospel or focusing on the gospel, I'm not going to do it. Because I want them to be edified if they're Christians, and I want them to be saved if they're not Christians. So then, in reaching out, so that others come to know Christ, or to nurture those that are believers already in the faith. It cannot happen if we have any sort of self-righteous attitude, expecting them to do better. You can do that. Is it wrong to encourage each other to be more wise, to have a, a more God lifestyle? Absolutely. Absolutely. But first comes faith. First comes, I have to be right with God. And then comes obedience. This will never be the other way around. We cannot demand compliance from non-believers or even from believers that may may be going astray if we don't first address the hard issue our heart needs to be repentant before God. And then obedience will come. Galatians 2.21 says the following. I do not know it by the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, Righteousness cannot come by our quote unquote good behavior. It's never going to happen. Righteousness before God, so that we remember to refocus on the true righteousness of the kingdom of God is the righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. So then, what are some final reflections for today? Number one, don't be a spiritual bully. Okay? How can this look like practically well I'm going to use my Christian Liberty to show others that I'm not stumbled by these things that's our attitude you're a spiritual bully thinking yourself to be the, the stronger brother or it could be using our personal convictions To bind everyone else's else's conscience. That can also be spiritual bullying. That is the tyranny of the weaker brother. Because I have a conviction of fill the lamp, whatever that may be. I'm going to make certain that others know about it. Not with the purpose of them not stumbling, me, but with the purpose of them not partaking that I am. You are a spiritual bully. May this never be, my brothers and sisters. Secondly, rather, we should be focusing on growing in our maturity as believers. One way we can do that is to seek not to be so easily shaken up by the convictions of others. We ought to seek to grow in the understanding of the liberty that other Christians may have. Now, we may disagree with them, and we may think that if I were to do that, that's unwise. Or maybe that they're being unwise. That could also be true. Because Paul says, not everything that is lost for me is edifying. But that doesn't mean that we have to expect somebody else to adapt or adopt our convictions. But it is good to understand those convictions. That's one way in which we grow in maturity. Now, there may be some convictions that as we grow in our maturity, because of our past, because of our culture, what, whatever it is, that we may decide, you know what, I'm growing in faith, but I'm still going to hold on to these convictions. I think that's Okay. Because it is better to live with a constant admonition to ourselves, to our family, to our household, than if we are exposed to certain things, to certain lifestyles, to certain environments, that is going to trip me up, it's going to stumble me. And therefore, I'm going to stay as far away from those activities, from those movies, from those foods. That's fine. That's fine. But at the same time, do not expect all your brothers and sisters around you to think and to uh, adopt the same convictions that you have. It's unrealistic. So, mutual understanding is a way in which we grow in maturity. Now, lastly, as we refocus our mind on the true righteousness of the kingdom of God. Remember this, righteousness is not given, I'm sorry, righteousness is given, it is not achieved. We cannot toil and work and become just burdened with doing and doing and doing and doing, thinking that I'm going to attain the righteousness that is required before God. It's not going to happen. Becoming right before God is a gift. Reconciliation of a sinner and God is initiated by God, it is kept by God, and it is sealed by God. God does this because of his grace and mercy toward us. Because while we while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. That's how the righteousness that God requires is. Attained by us, but not achieved. It is given to us by his grace through faith in Christ. So, my brothers and sisters, as we think about this liberties that we have as Christians, let us be wise. Let us not stumble, our brothers and sisters. Let us understand the convictions that our sisters, brothers and sisters, may have. Let us not judge each other, let us not despise each other. And nevertheless. Let us be reminded that as we covered last week and in the first time, the first portion of today's sermon, nevertheless, there is a time where you are expected and commanded to call someone to repentance, to judge a brother, a sister, or even the world. But it must be done in humility and righteousness. Then we have that mind today and as we go forward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to look at your word on the context of judging each other and the liberties that we have in Christ. Lord, give us wisdom to extend grace to each other. Give us discernment so that we may glorify you in the personal way that we Decide to live our lives. And may we never abuse that freedom to go into sin, Lord. And if we are, give us the humility and the grace and the conviction to love each other and to restore each other and even to review each other. But may it be done with the purpose of restoring someone to the love and the grace of Christ. We are the states in Jesus' name. Amen.